rocking and rolling episode number 455 here with Chris Bliss, No Laugh Track Podcast, Acme Comedy Company in Minneapolis. I am Although here. you can now purchase a laugh track after you've listened to the show if you'd like to have it with laughter. Uh, no. It's, no, no it, it, gas is $4 a gallon again No today. in-app purchases? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's all free here. Uh, gas went down $0.10 cents the other day, and then I filled up on the way here, and it was $0.10 cents more. Back to where we were two days ago. So. Oh, come on. Until it's the wheelbarrow full of, you know, until we've got, you know, pre-war Germany hyperinflation, let's not... Let's stop whining about the cost of gas here. No, no, I'm. Hey, I can get from point A to point B. I'm happy. I'm happy. And electric vehicles, uh, apparently, uh, no matter what the price of gas, much more efficient in terms of their use of energy. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. They just did a whole survey of it. Even with the bump up in electricity prices and gas prices, they did another survey. They figure an all electric vehicle save you seventy four hundred dollars in energy costs over the life of the vehicle. Oh my! Oh my! That's yeah. a lot. Well, we are here to talk about Chris Bliss's week. At Acme, especially because we were about to do this two years ago. That's correct. You were, was, your name was already written in the notebook for the next week. Yeah, uh, although I actually canceled that date before the city canceled that date, uh, just because I couldn't in good conscience, you know. I mean, the idea of standing in this room, you know, which is has respiratory pathogen written all over it, uh, so this room made it through with pride. With pride, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the carpet on the stage they should send to the CDC. They could probably cure COVID with some of the shit that's in this carpet. At the same time, got through the respiratory pathogen. Now where are we? Precipice, World War Three. Look at the bomb shelter look of this club. Mm-hmm. This is where you want to be, folks. Absolutely. Yeah. So not only that, but there's there's a there's a puzzle room one one level down. They'll never find us there. <laughs> So this is the perfect venue for your pre-World War III party here at Acme. <laughs> the new black, or uh, the new uh, blueprint, I'm sorry, for a, for a bunker. They put yeah. an escape room underneath. Is that what you're exactly. saying? Exactly. It's a, it's a room, looks like a bunker, and it's got an escape room underneath. That, you know, you're not gonna, there's not going to be a better place to be when the missiles fly than oh. at Acme. You know? Oh, that's very funny. That's very funny. So what happened? Uh, you So when you, you canceled right before... Uh, uh, I canceled the then. The club, shut down. I canceled, and four days later, Lewis called me and said, but they just closed us down. Yeah, Mar- uh, March of 2020, yeah. then everything was shut down in the city. The state, it just sounded like too country. weird of a thing to do, you know? I mean, I think Jake Johansson was the last act in. It was, and he's been, and now he's been back once, and so we had this, you know, sort of similar yeah. beginning of a conversation. You and I were having, I, was except he, his was, was the Was he last getting week. more uncomfortable as the week got on with the whole... 100%. Yes, as yeah. the days were going on, it was like, what are we doing here? Should we be doing this? Yeah. Well, fortunately, my audiences have learned to keep their laughter to a minimum. Is that right? Out of consideration for those around them and the comedian on stage. Oh, that's very polite. Yeah. That's very yeah. polite of them. <laughs> so I don't know how many people know about this, but uh, there are two legends that are announcing final shows this week in Minneapolis. And who are those two legends? Elton John. Elton John? Is it his final show here, really? He did his final two shows in Minneapolis uh, earlier this week. And then the other one, of course, is Chris Bliss. Yeah, I, I met Elton once. You did? Yeah, I met Elton once. I was what on was tour it? with Billy Connolly. Uh, yeah? Was a Scottish comedian. And Connolly and Elton are, are friends. 
And when I got oh. the tour, this is 1979, the first phone call came in. This was because of uh, I did these midnight specials in 1978. That's how old school I am. I was on the midnight special with Wolfman Jack. You really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing the juggling thing, right? In a spandex jumpsuit with rhinestones all over it. Stairway to Heaven, juggling to it on the Midnight Special with lots of cheesy 1978 strobe, video strobe effects. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I so, bet, is there a video of that still? It's not on YouTube, uh, I, is it? No, you won't find it on YouTube. I've got some somewhere, but it's like 12 generations down. It wasn't great res to begin with. Um, uh, I'll, I'll try and get you. I'll try and get it to you. I'll try and locate it somehow and stick it up on Dropbox so you can. Yeah, you there's can so many shows. I'm just thinking there's so many shows that you can you know that are now have reemerged you know on uh, you know whatever streaming site. But I don't know if that show. So exists I got this anywhere. call and somebody said, "Would you be interested in opening for either Billy Connolly or Elton John?" You know, and of course I wanted to open for Elton John, right? This was from Harvey Goldsmith, over big promoter in London. Instead, I ended up with Billy Connolly, which was incredibly great thing because. I'm not sure how aware Americans are of just what a great artist Billy Connolly is, uh, in t including in terms of comedy. Yeah. I mean, it's not just bathroom humor. He's got some very funny bathroom humor, but he can go deep in a heartbeat, you know. Uh, I some saw people know him when he had the uh, head of the class when he was on yeah, the sitcom. Yeah, and he was just really, I mean, that's fish out of water to put him in that, but he's done, but he's, and, and I learned everything I need to know about comedy from watching Connolly, you know. Yeah. And he did the nicest thing for me. His tour was sold out before any opening act, in quotes, was put on it. He met me in a dressing room in Washington, D.C. and thought I was either really good or just another arrogant American who was full of shit. That's what he told me when I got to Scotland. Ah. So uh, no acts on the show. First night, first concert. I forget it was somewhere in, uh, in, uh, somewhere in Scotland. And uh, he, he said, well, nobody knows I have an opening act. How do we do this? He said... I'll bring you on. He introduced me every night of the tour, including six days at the Theater Royal in London. Wow. Billy Connolly goes out and introduces you. Wow. The generosity of that, you know, uh, the warmth of that, incredible. Kept the hotels open every night so he could make sure that when his staff came home, came back from breaking down the set, small set though it was, that there would be dinner and and that the restaurant be open for that. Warm food, cold drinks. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. We and picked up the tab for all of, of it. Of course. Because why not? If you're in a 90% tax bracket, might as well spread <laughs> it around, you know. It's uh, called share the wealth. Yeah. Just really generous uh, man uh, in, in the spirit of everything that he does. Three days, uh, the last three shows after we finished London, he'd been on tour for six months. I was only on the last month. He'd done every small town on the coast of England and Ireland, Scotland, you know. All these towns where 600 people are in the town, 600 people show up, right? Yeah. He's got, three, he's got three shows to go. He changed his entire show. All right. I said, Billy, what are you doing? He said, well, I didn't want to phone it in after London, you know, which was clearly the high point. So I figured these people paid. I got to make sure I'm trying just as hard for them. Completely different show the last three nights of the tour. Holy crap. Could you learn a better lesson about what, about, you know, the best, about what you about the, your relationship with an audience than that, right? Or about the, or about how the space you should be in as a performer in terms of just again the word for me, generosity, you know. So I learned a lot from uh, I learned a lot from Billy. There was no pressure for you to to, to uh, turn over your act in that fast, was there? I I didn't have uh, any comedy. <laughs> I was just a juggling act then. So one of the places on the tour we met and we went to see Elton John. Yeah. It was his first tour, first. Uh, Concert performances in three years. It was just him and a guy named Ray Cooper. Right? Okay. 
And uh, Billy introduced me at the hotel to him really briefly. And he said, I heard you've got fantastic balls. Elton John said that to you? That's what he said to me. Are you serious? Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, now. uh, Why don't you? uh, You should have that. That that should be in your bio. No, no, thanks. Second line. Elton John told me I had fantastic balls. Yeah. And then uh, you, now you saw the Queen one of the, you, you saw the the Queen Mercury right the Queen movie right oh yes Freddie yeah, Mercury yeah. yes yes yeah, yes yeah. you know the one uh, you know and, and John Reed doesn't quite look like the John Reed character in that film mm-hmm. all right but I wound up while I was with Billy Conley I wound up having my own Marilyn Monroe on the casting couch experience what's this at John Reed's house in Knightsbridge where I felt his hand on my knee at one point it was like. John, I'm not into that. Oh. But I was breaking out in a sweat. Conley was laughing about it the next day. Ah, Chris, we wouldn't have left you there. Thanks, Billy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, you know, you're in the it, this hugely influential pro- – I mean, I knew who he was. Yeah. You know, you know. But I just didn't see that he was going to be able to represent me as the world's most famous juggler. <laughs> so. Wow. I didn't feel like it was worth me giving it up. <laughs> were were promises being made? Giving my giving my uh, homosexual virginity up to such a person? No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> right? <laughs> wow, Chris. Well, you know, I don't blame him. I was very, I was quite lithe in those days. So you know. along those lines, I something I've been doing here and there for guests is I'll search their name on eBay, and some stuff came up for you, Chris Bliss. I've got to doubt that. I almost didn't recognize young Chris Bliss. That long, that thick, I mean, you still got great hair. You had thick, dark hair. Let, let's see. I got to, like, this guy, what year would that have been? I'm going to. We're going to, we'll show, a, we'll put this. Uh, I'm going to say that is. Uh, I, I still think that was, uh, I was, I think I was coloring my hair. I think it was 40 something then. No kidding. Yeah, yeah I think so. I think that was, uh, I think. But no, you're Chicago. younger than your 40s then. Uh, I think that was 40 years ago, so that would make me 37. Yeah. This, Something in like fact, that. That would, if, I, if that was from a photographer in Chicago, then, uh, yeah. Can you remember how many times you got the 8x10s done over, throughout your career? You used to need 8x10s. Right. Now, uh, of course, my 8x10s are really, really old, but... You know, it's really expensive to get a good photographer. Sure. And I can figure I can either spend that money on a new photographer or I can save up a little bit more and get some work done so that I look more like the existing picture. <laughs> and that just seems like a better alternative. <laughs> how long So <laughs> how long is that an option? <laughs> uh, that was a mean question. No. How long is that an option before they just can't fix what's wrong? Before they got to tear down the bridge and build a new one? Yeah. Um, I think if you wait, I mean, I, I think, I, I think I could still, you know, I think I could, you know, Absolutely. I think it's still an option. And I'm also waiting because that gets better and better, less and less invasive. True. Yeah. True. You know, the funny thing to me about all the years in Los Angeles is that you'd see these guys had work done too, of course. The women had work done. Then they met at some, you know, industry function. They were attracted by one another's looks. Neither one of them actually looked like that. You know, so they had this mutual attraction, right? Then they hook up, and then they get married, and then they have children, and the kids don't look like either one of them. Oh, right. You know, <laughs> well, he has, well, he has your first chin. Right. I don't, I don't know. 
So. Looks a lot more like the grandparents than the parents. Yeah. <laughs> Built-in identity crisis. My wife says, it's interesting, Daisy said uh, people should not be allowed to raise their own children. They should have to raise somebody else's children. Okay. Because uh, they would raise them with more care uh, in the hopes that the children they knew they weren't being allowed to raise were being raised with care, too. Oh. You know, sort of, uh, you know, a, a, which was an interesting thought. You know, people would be better their kids if their kid, if they knew some stranger was raising their kid, they'd be better to that stranger's kid. Oh, wow. You know, wow. Just, uh, to activate that level of connectivity, right? Well, it turns out that there's there was this one of these BBC documentary series. I think it's called Ascent of a Woman. And it's about women's stuff through history. This woman archaeologist is talking. They found this city, this, this uh, you know, most uh, well, city, town, city, state, whatever, in ancient Sumeria. They had always assumed, because the, b b there were adults buried with children, they had always assumed they were family graves, right? Turns out that none of the children and the, par and the adults in the graves were, the children were not related to the parents that they had in the entire community. They were doing exactly what Daisy said. It was a matriarchal community, and they were have, and everybody was raised by somebody else's parents. Wow. Uh, so, how woke were they? That's what I'm saying. They were woke before they before you know they were woke before Buddha invented woke. <laughs> That's how woke they were. Woke uh, BC. Yeah. Yeah. BC. Yeah. B BB. BW. They were woke BW. <laughs> that was two thousand years before woke, <laughs> and they it. were woke. Uh, I, I have it. a new Madison Cawthorn joke that I might as well just deliver as a joke because I was speaking of the wokeness thing because he yes. just he's this right wing congressman from South Carolina, okay, ultra right wing guy who his whole job in Congress is to see how often he can out crazy Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know. So he just got in front of a group of uh, of uh, supporters and uh, started calling uh, the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, a thug repeatedly. He's a thug. It's an incredibly evil and corrupt country, and he's a thug. And, of course, everybody was appalled. And then I looked on the other side of it, and I thought to myself, you know, yes, it's an appalling thing to say. On the other hand, he is woke enough to use the word thug about a white person. <laughs> so, I mean, that's pretty woke, Madison. Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah. I, I, my wife and I just watched a show recently where someone used the word thug and immediately racist. So, yeah, you're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. At least we're finally. Uh -huh. I mean, so so we're getting there, people. The progress is slow, but we're getting there. <laughs> International we're progress. Getting there. We're, we're getting there one woke act at a time. One un, they're unconsciously woke. That's not easy to be unconsciously woke, is Let's it? See, uh, oxymoron? No, how can you be? It's like uh, we're polarized about non-binary people. How can you be polarized about, all right, on this non-binary issue, which side are you on? Mm -hmm. <laughs> My head's melting. I can't. <laughs> non-binary polarization. I personally uh, believe that at this point in the game, we're not polarized enough. That's my own theory. It takes a poison to kill a poison. I think we need to get even more polarized. Uh, so the thrust of most of what I'm writing these days is intended to polarize the audience so badly that by the end of my show, they won't even be willing to talk to themselves. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's how deep of an alienation I'm looking for is. So. <laughs> how has that been going? 
Um, some of the, you just pull out the if you pull out the right stuff, it it works. You know, I I pull out the jokes I never get to uh, uh, the most offensive joke I. You know, you have to let your mind go as as a comedian. It's uh in any conversation anyway, but, but that's the that's the discipline is to not self censor. Sure. You know, so you think of things and they're really funny, and you write them down. And you go, that's really funny, but you also know it's completely wrong. But it's but it's very funny. Right. So in that category, I once wrote a joke about how uh, I'm tired of everybody telling me that the 21st century will be the Asian century. The 20th century was the American century, but the 21st century will be the Asian century. Well, I'm going to tell you when it's going to be the Asian century. When Thai businessmen are coming here to have sex with our kids. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my. <laughs> That's when you'll know it's the Asian century. <laughs> and it's just so wrong. And I, but, but I'm spreading the polarization, you know? I'm picturing that moving into my neighborhood. I don't know where that would go. <laughs> Also, uh, since this will be broadcast after my shows anyway, right? This oh, no, there'll be some. After. We're going to get it on there. Oh, you are going to get it up yeah. there? Uh, Uh-oh. Well, I'm just tempted. I mean, you know, I've got other things. that They're just because, and a lot of people don't realize this. You know what Sunday was last Sunday? What's that? No, you don't, do you? Well, it was World Happiness Day, and you fucking missed it. <laughs> And the saddest part of World Happiness Day is they actually only have six hours worth of celebrations anymore. That's all they can fit in World Happiness Day. Finland, happiest country on earth, fifth straight year. And I'm not making this up because they ask follow-up questions to the questions that they catalog in their little calculation of happiest. You know, in other words, why did you answer that question that way? The reason Finland is the happiest place on earth, the primary secret to happiness in Finland, low expectations. They live in the middle of fucking nowhere. It's fucking freezing. It's dark six months out of the year. They expect nothing. They're never disappointed. So there's the secret to happiness, low expectations. And the U.S. That should get taught in uh, elementary school. I, I, th I think that's, you know, Americans need to lower their expectations. Mm -hmm. or, I don't know. I don't know about uh, uh, We think we have high expectations, but if you actually look at what, those, like, what, what we want to happen, it's pretty low. So low expectations would lead to less anxiety. 23% of Americans, adult Americans, 23% of adult Americans are on either anti-anxiety or anti-psychotic medications. 23%. That's all? That's <laughs> uh, so what I was going to say. Clearly not enough. Yeah, no way. Unless they're giving the wrong meds to the wrong people. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, if they're just giving the anti-anxieties to the psychotic people and all it does is calm them down enough that they can be more effectively psychotic. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know. They were loaded with those. But America moved up in the happiness rankings for the first time in years. We moved up three spots. We'd almost fallen out of the top 20. I mean, we were in a... Of course, we blew by happiness in America a long time ago. You know, happiness is bad for the economy. The economy runs on consumption, not yeah. happiness, you know. And the problem with happiness is that people are more productive. True. Right. But they also consume less. Well, if you're producing more and consuming less, pretty soon you're out of a fucking job. So, mm -hmm. not so happy now, are you? <laughs> so, I heard the other rumor. I heard you are not living in the United States anymore. Uh, no, we moved to Spain during the pandemic. 
Well, we moved in November, so we moved between the Delta wave and the Omicron wave. We, you know, we didn't know Omicron was coming. You we didn't just, bring it over there. Uh, it, it was that's it was such a. I mean, everybody was just starting to come out of it, and then it was right straight back into it. Yeah, you know, where do, where so. uh, where does Spain fall on the happiness scale? Oh, I don't know where they fall on the official scale. I didn't look it up, but uh, it, it's from a lot from easier. your uh, personal experience, what do you think? There just isn't that uh, constant, uh, uh, you know, background radiation of anger. Yeah, you know, uh, and I don't think people's well uh, lives are harder or easier th- there. I just think they made they got a different mindset. Sure, about it, you know, so. How? Like, they only hate people they actually know. <laughs> so you have a whole lot of energy left for other things then. <laughs> fair, fair enough. What led to the move? I wanted to change a mindset. Yeah? Daisy had wanted to go for a while. She's, uh, not fr- she, she's Brazilian, but she wanted yeah, to, right. She said, can we live in Europe somewhere? You know, I'm kind of done with being uh, in the States. And it was like, yeah, I get it. You know, and... Uh, so we'd been talking about it, and after uh, was there going to be a place other than Spain? Was anything? Well, else we considered? just looked around. It just looked like that. That was kind of like the best blend of uh, e- easiest circumstances to move to. Um, you know, dynamic enough, uh, big enough space as it is, warm enough, which Daisy likes. They have beaches. Italy doesn't really. Okay. We didn't want to be in Greece or someplace like that. We wanted to be in mainland Europe. Uh, and uh, Spain is, where uh, 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 we are in Valencia, it's two-hour high-speed rail to Barcelona, and I think it's four hours from there to Paris on the train or something like that. It's ridiculous. So that's just train travel if you want to do it. So, I mean, it's, so the idea was, well, let's be in Europe, and then when we want to go someplace, you know, it, it'll be a different country, not just a different state. Yes. So, Am- so. Amazing. What's the, what's what's the biggest surprise that you've found living there that you didn't expect? Anything? It's hard to I uh well, how, well, it's it's not a surprise, but it's really interesting to be someplace where everybody's out all the time. They okay. have a huge park in the middle of the city. They have it's a very flat city so people can walk and ride their, you know, electric uh scooters anywhere they want to go. Uh but People are out in this park that they've put, this Turia Park in the center of Valencia. And you see uh, people with their grandparents and people with their grandchildren. And, 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 I mean, you just see families walking. I mean, thousands of people constantly on the streets. You just don't see that in America. Are you in an area that tourists go to? Valencia is not uh, has its tourist. Uh, tr- I mean, it's the third largest city in Spain. But it, it okay. I mean, m- when people think of go- tourism in Spain, they think of uh, Barcelona, m- m- Madrid, and probably especially Barcelona. You know, so Valencia people are starting to discover. But I don't know. I mean, I haven't even been there during a tourist season. We got there in November. Sure. Uh, the worst time of year to get there. We we're navigating all the bureaucracy stuff, and then Omicron comes along, and then. You know, so it's been kind of a busy time. Did you? Uh, the good you, news is that you can't. That you know, even if America goes fascist, Spain's been there and done that, and there is, you know, there are rainbows on the other side. <laughs> Did you guys have to prove? I, I don't know how these rules. You have to prove like that you can have an income, or when you move to another country, you or? have to demonstrate enough means so that you won't be uh, part of their welfare system. I see. I see. You know, and I in our case, we had to actually offer our organs. <laughs> That's good. You I still thought that was something. a little bit extreme, but you know, 
Well, when you want to move, you want to move. When you're self-employed, you gotta you know gotta have the collateral. I looked something up about a quality of life in uh, Spain. It says Spain has a high quality of life. The sun shines almost 320 days a year, which includes a good mood, encourages most locals to walk. It's kind of as you were saying, the people are always outside and spend a lot of time outdoors, whether it's by the beach, terraces, or mountains. This, along with the healthy Mediterranean diet and free healthcare system, Chris Bliss. Well, not for us, but uh, because we're uh, we're not uh, citizens of Spain, but. And uh, just so people know exactly how badly you're getting horked like you don't already. Lay it on us. Yeah. Uh, my wife is, uh, who's a few, uh, you know, I'm 69, Daisy's 63. We'll say 62 for the podcast listeners. Okay. <laughs> so my Daisy, Daisy's 58. There you go. She just, Daisy's 45. And the two of us <laughs> together, uh, you have to buy a health care plan that has no deductibles and no co-payments. That's the requirement, okay? So, yeah. all right, so no deductibles, none of this $6,000 deductible, no co-payments. It's got to match the coverage levels that citizens get, right? The two of us, uh, $340 a month. Yeah. With no deductible. And no co-pays. And no co-pays. Sounds pretty nice. It's ridiculous. I mean, it makes Would you. Would you like to bring on? A, and it's a, and it's a, a, and it's known to be a good a good uh, one of the better health healthcare systems in Spain. So, I mean, in Europe. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, that's awesome. You know, so, will you be there until until uh, till the till the coronary? That's the way we're looking <laughs> at it right now. This is you it, know, huh? da- you know, Daisy said something. She took this trip to Italy a few years ago, which is really in some ways where she'd rather be, but she wouldn't because, but she loves Italy, right? Okay. And somebody said, well, you, do you, you want to come here? Is it, you, do you think you want to live here? And she goes, no, I want to die here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, such a funny thing to say. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's fantastic. So. Let, let, like She's I, I, pretty happy. She fits right in with the, she understands the rhythm of a, of a Latin culture, you know, it's natural to her being from Brazil, even though it's Spanish. Not, you know, you've always you speak Spanish. You always she have? speaks Spanish. How about you? Oh, I understand enough of it, uh, you know, to to. Uh, but but I need to obviously study now because otherwise, she gets to do all the talking instead of just eighty two percent. You know, and, and that's like, you know, and and when I try to go, will you translate this? She's already off on another subject, so she's not the best translator. The but. I get my revenge about Daisy just a little bit because she's not a good listener and she talks to herself. So <laughs> she's she's paying the price on that one, isn't she? Do you have trouble getting getting around when you're on your own? She's not with you? Over oh, there? no, no, no. I mean, and we don't even own a car, which is fantastic. Okay. You know. Did you did you have one here you got rid of? Oh, oh yeah. I yeah. mean, you you could you couldn't take it anyway. But I, but I wouldn't anyway. And, and now we're living, and we just hunker down in the middle of uh, Valencia in this nice apartment that we found. We had an area in the back for our dogs, this patio in the courtyard area there, which is like, you know, something hard to find because we got one big dog, one little one. And uh, walk a ton. We can walk to the beach in 35 minutes. And it's quite, and it's an incredible beach. We haven't been there at a good time of year yet. Yeah. You know, it's it's miles long and half a mile wide and. So you what's know. the future of your comedy career? Oh, the, uh, you know, the future of my comedy career was a long time ago. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so <What's> the- <laughs> that's just, you know. 
once you know, in all honesty, once you know, I mean, I love getting to play this club, but it's the only club date that I have. It's the only club date I've been playing for 10 years. And comedy requires you be on a stage if you're going to, you know, I mean, I can get somewhere by the end of every week that I come in here, but I don't get as far as I could if I had one month to put to put the ideas right. together and to just find how they lead into one another. Sure. Um, so... You did cruise ships for, and and on the, and I still do. I'm doing a few more just to just to pay for the move to Spain. Oh, you, you are know. okay. Yeah, just a few more. I did b- before I came here because I want to make sure that I didn't walk on this stage and it was the first time I'd done comedy in two years. You know, just to you know, but can't do the. I mean, I don't want to say the same things there. Right. You know, I, you, and it's not necessarily appropriate. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, newest piece of material. I'm getting up in years, and I've started to think about things, and I've decided that my bucket list is a hit list. Yeah. Yeah. Because the one thing I have regrets about is service to humanity. So if I can take a few with me on my way out the door, maybe a motivational speaker, a hedge fund manager, uh, maybe a prominent psychic if there is one, just because they should have seen it coming. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) This is not a small detail in your future. This is the end of the lifeline. Read my palm. (laughs) You know, and if I got really lucky and got to the echelon, I'd like to. If I've got six weeks to live, Tucker Carlson has five. Oh, my. Oh, my. (laughs) Tucker. You got to have somebody in that number, in that poll position right now. (laughs) He's the one that I would think it would do the most good for my fellow Americans and therefore the human race. Because, you know, no matter how dysfunctional we are, it's riding on us. Fair enough. (laughs) Well, I mean... Hate crimes at a 20-year high in the United States. No, I believe that. At the same time that we went up three notches on the world happiness, hate crimes are at a 20-year high. Sounds like it's counterintuitive until you realize, hey, that made those people happy. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of them. That might have been half the bump that we got from 19 to 16, just all the happy, hateful people. Don't they deserve to be happy, too? That's the liberals. Well, well, shouldn't hateful people be happy, too? Yeah. On the subject of hate crimes, here's a question yes. for you. Yes. If you spray paint a swastika on a Confederate memorial, are you defacing it or just rebranding it? And I don't think we should be defacing those memorials, and I don't think we should be destroying them. I think we should gather them all together and put them in a, in a little Confederate theme park of some kind. You know, you call it Dixieland. You could have a whipping post and a slave auction, and admission is free, but you got to pass a literacy test to get out. Oh, my. <laughs> That's a nice joke, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. It's a thinker. It, well, it works on two levels. If you don't know about the literacy test thing for the voting rights, mm-hmm. it's still just a funny idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could just say because they're ignorant, but why not dress it up? Right. Yeah. You're having too much fun doing this, Chris. Why would you? Uh, uh, no audience. You know, if you don't have an audience, again, you know, if you're, you see, if you talk to, uh, you've talked to some comedians that have gone on to be a, a, a number of them, ticket selling attractions, their name on the ticket, you know. Uh, 
I've had plenty of friends who got there. I never got there. I started a little bit late because of the juggling thing. And I, uh, you know, and then white people became passe right when I was getting into my prime. <laughs> you know, that's not my fault. I just, you know, a little bit of bad luck, mostly good luck. A little one little thing. I missed the boat because I waited too long. But, um, but there's a very creative space for the comedians when they're coming up where maybe 20, 30 percent of the audience is there specifically to see them. Sure. Um, but the other people are there and they're open, but they don't really have made up their minds. So you got to work hard for that majority, but you also have a certain uh, part of the crowd that already speaks your particular comedy, you know, mm -hmm. and that's a very creative space to be in. Uh, because the ad libs will come, the the material comes alive for the comedian with the help of the twenty percent, and and the freshness of the eighty percent. Well, once you're a star, no matter what you say, people laugh at it. Yeah, you know, and so you don't have so creatively. It's not. I mean, yeah, you also have the resources you can, but but I never, you know, I had a little bit small period of time when I was doing the Tonight shows that at three or four clubs. I had those people in the audience, and it was a blast. But once that goes away, and once every night is a make-me-laugh night, we don't know who you are, you know. I mean, it's okay, but it's not as much fun as it would be otherwise. Sure. You know, and now, uh, and plus I only get to do the club once a year, yeah. you know, or clubs once a year. It's too bad. I, I Every time I do this club, I have a great time, and at the end of the week I'm just thinking to myself, well, Okay, you know, but you don't have the, enough time to do the thing that would be the most fun. Hmm. So this time, uh, you know, all the little stuff that's in the notebook that doesn't really have a home, all the orphan lines, all the little Asian century jokes, they're all coming. You know? Yeah. Why, why should I wait? you got certain jokes you never get to do. Maybe they're not even jokes because I have that category in my book. This It's called Jokes Nobody Ever Laughed At. I think by definition... Those would not be jokes, would they? But, you know. <laughs> well, I've had so much fun talking to you over the years, so, uh, just one-on-one -on -one with you, when, uh, with oh, Josh. With Mr. Mr. Weinstein. When, when you did the shows with Josh Weinstein over the years, that was so great. Um, it was so a I, lot of fun. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, when I heard that this might be it, I, I was bummed about that. But uh, we, got, we got a lot recorded. We've done, we've done a lot of good talks. Uh, and you know, I mean, I, I I don't know, I don't know. I mean, you get your, I mean, four hundred and fifty-five times you've done this, so you keep showing up, you keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, somehow. Um, uh, uh, and Lewis keeps doing it with this club. You know, I talked to him about it. I, I I've also suffered a bit of a loss of uh, of faith in communication, hmm. which for me is really, you know, I I mean, and that's just personal. That's a kind of thing. Like, well. A, there would be two things. A, uh, what do I have? Say, what do I have to say that somebody else isn't saying? And of course, everything you would say, there might be similarities, but your own particular phrasing can open a door, or close a door, or whatever. Sure. You know, I understand that, but still. And the other thing is, well, but is it all like Chinese food? Hey, those are great ideas. Three three hours later, people have forgotten them. You know, I just sort of had a, a loss of faith about the. And the way the country's gone, it's like, well, I don't need to communicate with you. You're not on my team. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, really? Uh, and, and it's like, and, and that you're either preaching to the choir or, but you're not growing. You're not, you know, I mean, it seems harder and harder. Now, maybe the people in a position of, with large audiences, they, yeah. have, they have some opportunity, more opportunity than I'm going to get. But it's like. If I'm not going to get the audience, then maybe maybe I'll just finally do the writing that's just for my own clarity. 
hopefully it'll be shorter and more to the point and maybe fun. I don't know if anybody will ever read it. I'll, I'll put it up someplace. You yeah, know, or, well, you definitely or just do, do direct to camera yeah. for it and do that because that's easy enough to do. And I do like looking at myself. If I could have a direct to camera here where I had a monitor right behind it where I could like perform for myself. <laughs> you know, because that gets me into the fact that, hey, I'm really talking to people. Yes. You know, and it's like, uh, so. Uh, Absolutely. You know, we should let people know that, uh, you know, you've referenced the juggling and it uh, definitely put you on the map at one point. It's something that you used to do here on stage. I haven't done it this week. I don't know if I if I will, but I probably maybe do it uh, uh, maybe on the late show Saturday night. I'm not positive. And I won't do the song that they can see on the Internet. I, I'll try something that I know won't work here. Because uh, there's an incredible... Did you ever hear Steve... Have you ever heard Overjoyed Stevie Wonder song? Yeah, of course. Have you ever heard it when he did it on uh, on Saturday Night Live at the end of the show? I don't know. I think it's before it went on a record. Okay. And I was... Uh, 1983, this is from. And I remember I just happened to be watching Saturday Night Live. And I went... You just go, what was that? End of the show. He sits down behind the piano. Just him and the piano. And he lays out this thing that is like utterly perfect you know all the phrasings on the piano all the modulations on the voice i mean that's working without a net and that is not a song with a small range in it vocally you know uh, and plus it's just this beautiful beautiful song yeah so i, I might try to juggle that in here because it's so inappropriate <laughs> you know because a lot of people don't know this the soft side of The 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 uh, the height of the ceiling will be when you do that attempt that Saturday evening will be the same as it is now. It's not going anywhere. That's true, yeah. and and it just makes you work as that song probably should be worked anyway. Just make you work a little tight, a little close. Just try and really feel it. But I don't want to do something I've done twenty thousand. It's the Billy Connolly thing. Why'd you change your whole show? It's because I don't want to be on autopilot. I'm going to be on autopilot a little bit when I'm trying to figure out. All right, I'm in a bit I know, but I don't want to stay here too long. I want to go to a, a bit that I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I want to get something done here. And, and I would really, really appreciate if anybody who's coming to the show is hearing this podcast, if you can just, you know, fake up the laughter a little bit. <laughs> you know, I mean, because we can always take that audio and we can put it into a later part of the show and we're going to. So, I mean, I am tape. Ta we're not taping. We're recording. There's no tape anymore. So. You know, anything that, like, you know, if we can get it up. Uh, my next project, by the way, is uh, is uh, a video I'm calling Deep Fake Orgasm. Yes. Yeah. It's world figures like Obama and everybody else, and you do a deep fake of them having an orgasm oh on the video. <laughs> you know, my favorite one, and unfortunately she's not a world leader anymore, Angela Merkel, Deep Fake Orgasm. Un one of the funniest things you've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, you know, sit down, Meg Ryan. Is that, oh, really? Yeah. I'll have what she's you having. You need to see my deep fake <laughs> orgasm of Angela Merkel. Deep fake Merkel. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. This has been wonderful. People need to uh, come and see these shows uh, while they still can. Uh, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday. Always a pleasure. To be I mean, I couldn't, you know. I mean, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll pull a Tom Brady. And announce and, and retire from my retirement. There we you never go. Know.
but I'd, somehow he had 40 million more reasons than I do. <laughs> you you yeah. know, we'll uh, we'll wait and see how things go when you move back in. He and G- I have so Giselle. much in common, me and Tom. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Good to see you again. Absolutely. This was fun.